Hey, on the Guy at the Movies podcast, Sean and I discuss how we might be the biggest summer blockbuster hit to come out this year, given the flops at the box office. I mean, early reactions have said we're the greatest podcast of all time. There's no other podcast that's better. <laughs> Stephen King has said that our podcast is... Vi- he usually doesn't like podcasts, but our podcast is visually spectacular in every way, and he definitely has a check for a million dollars. And enemy of the pod, Tom Cruise, said the same thing. It was great. <laughs> All this and more today on the Guy at the Movies podcast. Everyone is part of the family at this point. It didn't be my fan fiction idea that I had. So this movie was garbage. You are a monster beyond all belief. Put them all in the thing and let them do the thing. You know what I mean? How? You're lucky to have me back. (laughs) (laughs) You're never going to get 60 million people because you're not a Super Bowl. Shut up. So chaotic. Welcome to the Guy at the Movies podcast. This is episode 150 of this esteemed institution's communications to all of you. Sean, how are you? It's doing great. It's the first day of summer for me, officially. Um, But I would have had the day off anyway because of happy Juneteenth. And so happy Juneteenth for you as well. I'm doing great all around. (laughs) And to all of you that recognize, thank you for being progressive and recognizing. To all of you that don't, get whatever it is out of your ass. Um, just enjoy the day off, you weirdos. You can still, like, be racist, but just, like, enjoy the day off. But you let's not give that an okay. Let's not okay, give that Okay, I'm not giving a pass for – okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, know, I know what you meant. I know what you meant. Um, apologies if this sounds different or looks different today. Uh, I had another leak in my place uh, that went all over my computer equipment, so I am uh, broadcasting from my laptop. Are you getting free rent at this point? Because from all the bullshit you've had to deal with at that place, I mean, come on. One one would think. One would think. Um, but you're just getting them on the phone uh, or you know, to respond to an email is a challenge enough. Uh, listen, they'll probably show up while we're doing this. Um, oh, definitely. I'll put that out there. Oh, keep it on. <laughs> Keep it on. Keep it on. We're going right through it. Go live. We're going live. Uh, All right. We have a lot of trailers to get to today, and then we're going to switch things up a little bit, talk about the box office, because it has interesting implications, I think, on what decisions are made in the future with studio films. Um, And then we'll get into what we've been watching, as well as the latest news, rants and raves, and we'll end, since it is, you know, mid to late Pride Month, uh, we will end with some of our recommendations for shows and movies to watch if you're feeling prideful. Uh, or if you're not and you want to learn a little bit more, we can help there too. All right, let's dive into the trailers here. Let's start with Passages. I was so happy to see you put this on here, Sean. Um, Passages is Ira Sachs' new uh, comedy. Um, comedy slash romance uh, it is going straight to movie. Uh, it stars friends. Right- movie. I'm so mad. I'm going to have to You're get- doing well. Fucking movie, man. <laughs> um. It stars Franz Rogowski, Ben Whishaw, as well as Adele Excarp... Uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, Excarpichapolos. Butchered that. Look her up. Um, this is... Uh, so I saw this movie. Um, I saw this at a festival. If I remember correctly, and I really liked it, put it first off, because Franz Rogowski is insane in this. He is such a unique actor. He has such a unique presentation, uh, but he's really good in this, and this is pretty compelling. It's basically about a character who is in a same-sex relationship with his partner who meets a woman and falls in love with her. And it's kind of the balance of all that and the fallout of all that um, in a very modern but very approachable um, and 
an in-depth way. I remember seeing it with a bunch of people in, um, obviously in the theater, but an older crowd that was at, at this festival. I think it was like a that Saturday. Was gone well. <laughs> well, it actually did, and that's what I was really like. I mean, it's a movie-going crowd that's seeing an independent film, so you're going to expect them to be a little bit more progressive and advanced in that sense. But it was just like just hearing the conversation afterwards. Everyone was really into like the story that was being told as. You not unique, but as specific as it was. Yeah. I heard coming out of Sundance that this has um like wild sex scenes in it, and so like in that it's just like okay, yeah, let's let's let's, let's buckle up. I'm in for that. Wild sex scenes, um, especially between the two men in there, <laughs> uh, which again was you're reminding me because this was months ago, but I remember walking out and hearing like these two older women talking about like that was really well done. <laughs> And I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> it takes all kinds. Um, I yeah, like this one. Th these next two trailers I put on there, I, I'm, I'm putting them both in the category of annoyingly Sundancey, in a good way, but also just looking at those two, I was like, wow, these just like, if AI was making a Sundance movie, it would just straight up be that. And now this sounds like I'm besmirching both these. I haven't seen either movie. I'm gonna definitely see them both, but they just seem like the most Sundance movies of all time. Well, it's funny you say that about the second one here, Shortcomings. Um, this is Randall Park's debut uh, as a director. I, I watched this trailer and I was like, this, is, this feels like I've seen it before in a lot of ways. Um, and there's, there's some really witty commentary within um, that I think I am looking forward to being expanded upon in the film. The trailer kind of felt like a hodgepodge to me. I didn't like uh, the trailer, unfortunately. And I, I love Randall Park, so I'm like, I'm supporting the hell out of this dude, so right on. But, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it's weird that he – like, I always find it weird when an actor directs – it happens a lot, but, like, when an actor directs something and they're not in it. And I always yeah. found that an amazing choice. And so when he, when he was not in it, I'm like, well, this guy has a very, like, recognizable face, even if people don't know, like, his name right off the bat. I mean, he's very recognizable, so it's strange that he wasn't put in there. But I think they wanted someone, like, th I heard this main character is psychotically unlikable. And that's always something that I love. I love that challenge, because usually when there's an unlikable character at the center, I tend to not get into it. But Is that the male character? Yeah, the male character is horribly unlikable. But <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I, kind, I was drawn in by that, and I'm always up for that challenge. I, I love the one scene, it's near the end, where she's like, oh, is someone sitting here? And he's like, no, and she just takes the chair. <laughs> just so, like, and that, that, that's where, like, that Sundancey stuff came from, like, the quirky, like, just a woe is me kind of humor where I saw where I was like, this is, like, a lot of different Sundance movies, but yeah. it still works. It still works very well. Let's move on to the third one here. This is going to be an interesting one because it's Pixar's next film. It comes out in March 2024. Also thought it was a very interesting time to put that out uh, with um, uh, Elemental Hitting Feeders. Uh, this is Ilio. It is not related to Ilio's Pizza, the famed frozen brand that I ate a lot of when I was a child. This stars Jamila Jamil and Brad Garrett, which is pretty interesting, um, as well as America Ferreira and Jonas Cabrib, um, in an intergalactic misadventure that is scheduled to take off next spring. Um, this, I, I thought this looked adorable, actually. Uh, I was more engaged in this than I think I was for any Elemental preview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, um, I'm interested in this one. I, you know, obviously there's this weird Pixar narrative where it's like, is Pixar going down the tubes? And it's like, mm. no, they're just not making an unbridled masterpiece every year. It's like this unfair standard for Pixar where it's just like, you know, are there, is their studio completely and utterly doomed? It's like, 
no, <laughs> they just they're just not making the perfect movie of all time every year. Like they did like for a <laughs> run of like 20 movies. So yeah. I like when it comes to this one, it has a little neat idea. It seems, you know, it's like a little kid has to sort of defend Earth. And I don't know. I kind of like like that premise. I don't know where it's going to go with it. Um, I mean, I have not seen either this or Elemental. I'm probably going to get on CNN Elemental today. The anime. I remember when that uh, animation came out with Elemental. I was like, well, this is just exceptional. And so this animation didn't really do it for me as much but you know hey if they got a cool story with it um i'm game it gave me major chicken little vibes remember yeah. chicken little that was the uh, the zach braff version right <laughs> i think that's who it was yeah um i uh, we'll see i again i think it's interesting that they put it out the preview out so early um i mean we're in june right now so that's what nine months before the movie comes out and it's not just a tease it's a full trailer i'm assuming that yeah yeah usually they do a teaser with the new pixar movie but this mm. one's like a full-blown fully throated thing and so i don't know um, yeah i guess they had it ready hey. <laughs> <laughs> um all right last one we're going to talk about today is a movie that i felt like came out three times already um i don't know why but this is They Clone Tyrone, starring John Boyega, Tayona Paris, David Allen Greer, Kiefer Sutherland, and Jamie Foxx. Um, this is a Netflix film, and basically uh, is the tagline is a series of eerie events thrust an unlikely trio onto the trail of a nefarious government experience conspiracy uh, in this pulpy mystery caper. I laughed a lot during this trailer, yes. and I, I like I'm just happy to see John Boyega and Tayana Paris going nuts. Yeah, I um I mean right now the last uh, performance I've seen from both Tayana Paris and from John Boyega were like their best performances, whether it's a thousand one or uh, breaking, 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 um, breaking. And I thought that those were two flawless performances, and so I want to see what they do next. The style of this is both fun but could be grating like it's got that like uh you know 70s uh black exploitation vibe to it and I, I i mean i'm here for that and it looks like that's what they're going for in the whole movie and so if, if they pull it off this will be amazing but if it like it's just a little bit subpar that kind of stuff will unfortunately just not work and so uh, i am very much rooting for this one this like, like you said i laughed a lot during this trailer i had a lot of fun i was smiling ear to ear so i hope i hope they can pull this one off when Jamie Foxx's character goes, it's in the fucking chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then after that, they pass around the grape drink, and they're like, it might be in the... And, and like, so I was like, oh, okay, I know what they're doing here. Yeah, I know what yeah, they're yeah. doing. And you know what? It might be a little bit obvious, but I'm still going to accept it if it's going to be yeah. fun. <laughs> totally in on that. Can't wait to see what happens. All right, let's talk about the box office before we move in. This is uh, courtesy of boxofficereport.com. Um, the Flash is the biggest debut of the weekend, and this was uh, touted as the second coming of, I'm trying to think what the, Infinity Christ. War or Endgame. <laughs> well, I wasn't going straight. <laughs> I mean, you might as well just say Christ. That's what, like, a lot of people said. It was the weirdest, I and this is what turned me, if we, I'm just going to, like, start diving mm -hmm. into it. That was the weirdest situation in the world. When people, like, I, it was when Stephen King started to praise it, where I said, something is going on, I'm putting a tinfoil hat on. Weird shit is happening. I don't know what sort of conspiracy is going on, but this stuff is not true. It's it just yep. these reactions are just straight up not true. And I have a feeling a lot of other people sort of felt that way. They're where they're like, I think they're going a little bit too. They're going to be a little thirsty. They're a little bit too hard on the reaction. So I don't know if that's what kept people away. I don't know if it's recent DC movies that just have not been up to snuff that kept it away. I don't know what, but I have a friend who shared that his friend said these movies feel like homework now. Um, 
that they're that's hitting how they're hitting normie viewers too interlocked, too involved, too burdensome. Um, I also just think that there was so much surrounding this movie. I mean, people didn't really know where it sat. We'll get into the reviews of it, but people didn't really know where it sat. People were turned off by the Ezra Miller controversy. Um, the Flash isn't the most uh, isn't the most beloved character, I would say. Uh, but this was looking at a range of fifty nine million to sixty five million for the uh, three day weekend, and it Which came I in. Thought at, was low. I thought. I thought that I was thought very that was low. low. Yeah. It came in at fifty five ten, um, which is insane. Uh, so not only did that come in, well, let's put that into comparison or put that into uh, perspective. Black Adam did, I believe it was in the seventies. Am I wrong on that? But also, but no, wait. I was I was about to say I'm I'm now totally wrong. I was about to say didn't Black Adam overperform? But it didn't. Um, I think it overperformed past its expectations, just not past its budget. Um, so I I I I'm just very confused by this whole thing. And I think, I mean, if we look at it. A lot of the problem was, and this is going to be a problem throughout July, by the way. It's going to be a huge problem, and I'm very curious to see how it goes. These look, There are big-time um, box office movies stacked week after week after yeah. week. Yeah. Stuff is going to cancel each other out, and it's going to do it very fast. And okay. this probably was the victim to that. There's probably still people going to see Mermaid. There's probably still people going to see Across the Spider-Verse. And I think that that's you know part of the problem that happened here. I think I I'm I'm a little bit baffled that this underperformed. I'm quite surprised because you know what I mean. I I posted my review, which we'll talk about in a minute, that I didn't like this, and uh, most people commenting liked this movie. They oh. they enjoyed themselves. So for that alone, I think this would would have been a more of an audience hit. And so usually those do a little bit better at the box office. I'm I mean I guess for the reasons we gave. It's just that there was, I guess that stuff just turned people off. But I also don't understand, like, as you were just saying, the the people are really liking it. The um, Not not that this is the telltale, yeah. right? But cinema scores are pretty good signs of how things are going to continue to perform. Because um, it's basically like word of mouth and stuff like that. Elemental has an A. Blackening has a B plus. The Flash has a B. Um, so that's kind of fascinating to me. I mean, I will say that's not bad for a DCEU movie because people do like to pile on top of them. Um, mm -hmm. And especially after like Shazam, like they haven't had a good streak going for a little bit. So um, I, I'd say a B is quite surprising. I would expect uh, tougher. Um, I think, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's very, I, I do think movies are tough to see now. Like people just don't want to go to the theater. Everything's going to be on streaming soon, you know. Friend of the pod, Matt, said, like, yeah, I'll just wait till this hits streaming. I have no reason to see this as soon as possible. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was, um, I mean, there, there's a part of me that says Gun is just like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, Blue Beetle starts the universe. <laughs> and, he, and he sort of said that, like, a couple of days before Flash, which I think only losers like you and me that pay clo this close attention that sounded like a bad sign right away where he's like, yeah, no, Blue Beetle will start our universe, our DC yeah. universe. <laughs> so that already was just yikes. <laughs> well, I, it's funny because I was, I've been reflecting on that and I'm going to rant about DC a little bit when we get into rants. Um, I, I, I feel like they were trying to milk this for as much as, as they could. I said this from the beginning, they have movies that they have to burn off here. And this was one of them. It was a big one. It's big budget. Um, there are good things about this movie that we'll talk about. And, uh, but there's also a lot of bad, um, but you know, the flash, they, I think they were trying to keep it open. Like if they were to say that this movie didn't mean anything and that it wasn't going to have any further implications into what they were doing, 
and they would say Ezra Miller was done after this, or you know, we're never going to see the character again. I think it would have hurt it even more. Yeah. Um. So it, it makes sense that they were trying to play a little like in the gray area here. Um, but unfortunately, I think that also contributed to hurting the film a little bit. Um, one of the other movies that came out this week that also drastically underperformed was Elemental. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I believe, the worst opening for a Pixar movie opening weekend. Lightyear, I thought, was pretty bad. but Lightyear was bad, but I, if I'm not mistaken, The Good Dinosaur was even better than this. Jesus. Um, so this was a $29.5 million three-day opening. Um, it was significantly lower than Onward, which was thirty nine twelve uh, back in March of twenty twenty, which was when the pandemic was starting to rage. Um, and then since then, they had the three. I'm, I'm reading this from boxofficereport.com. Since then, they had three films debuting on Disney Plus. Last year's Lightyear was a box office disappointment, and now Elemental's off to a poor start. I mean, I, I talk, I like, you know, I only have like, well, I have plenty of friends who are parents, but uh, my sister's the one that always talks to me about this. You know, she talked to me about this with Lightyear and she's like, so when's it going to be on Disney Plus? Yeah. Because like, she doesn't want to drag her two kids that are just like hyperactive and not ready for a theater experience yet to the theater. Um, and I think that them putting them on Disney Plus, it strengthened the Disney Plus name. Like everybody has Disney Plus now, but. I think that created a problem for Pixar movies in theaters. And it's weird because, you know, you don't see that same problem with Marvel, or at least, you know, Marvel is dropping a little bit, but not as much. And I think it is, you know, kids' movies, you know, just do better on streaming, which is a shame because, you know, like taking a kid to the theater, it's like a huge event that should be this lovely thing. But I do think people see Elemental, like, there's not going to be spoilers. There's not, no one's going to, like, you know, drop stuff on the internet about the Flash cameos. <laughs> Instead, it's just like you know. Oh, the 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 water man falls in love with the fire girl. I don't know how it's going to end. I could probably assume. So you know what? I'll just wait till this is like I'll put it in front of my kids. And I mean, by the way, not that long of a time. I'm assuming this will be like sometime in August, most likely. Mm-hmm. And so there's just not that same need. And it's weird that it, that's only taking a hit with Pixar because everything's coming out faster. Like Fast X just got on Peacock, I think. So it's happening to everybody, but or every movie studio. But for some reason, I think Pixar just because of the kids thing, you know, it just it's it's just going to underperform. I think Pixar's lost its touch. Yeah, and I there's two reasons. One, I think that everything that they put out, every preview that I watch. It's not as surprising or remarkable as it was in the past at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, The other is that the humor that I think became, the sophisticated humor that I think became a hallmark of Pixar and was capitalizing on Shrek and, you know, allowing us to take the whole family to the theater and enjoy an animated film. It was speaking to both of, you know, the kids and the adults. Um, They've lost that as well. And I mean, you'll see that when you see Elemental, I think you'll agree with that. There's, there's not, there's barely any humor for adults in there and it doesn't have to be that way, but Pixar built themselves that way. And when there's a lack of that sophistication, I think we, uh, it's, it's gonna, people are going to respond poorly to it when it's not there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's, 
it's a strange time where uh, uh and then they what they'll do is they'll they'll pump out a sequel pixar i mean what are they going to do um inside out 2 where it's going to be the mind of a teenager which i don't know how you make that a fucking kids movie because uh, i know what i was thinking about when i was a teen and there there ain't little cuddly characters that go with that well so. did you see the director said uh we're gonna explore many more emotions like yeah Dude, this is a bad idea, man. Just like maybe jump to like an adult, like go Andy style and just jump to like when they're mature and okay and stuff. But I, I mean, and I loved Inside Out and so I'll be curious to see that. But, you know, most sequels with the exception of like the Toy Story ones have not worked and they're not necessarily bad. I think of The Incredibles too, where I'm like, yeah, it wasn't bad, but I don't remember anything from it really. I like, and you know, compared to Incredibles. It's really tough, but you know they know that that would might make more money, and so they're gonna you know sacrifice that. It just seems like, I mean, there have been a lot of issues um, with uh, shuffling around. I mean, John Lasseter was the Pixar guy. He went to Disney Animation Studios, and you know did way, then those movies started to do way better. And now he's with Skydance because he uh, you know like is a little bit of a problematic individual. Um, somehow still able to run a studio though. Well, yeah, dude, fuck it. Um, but I. And I think that that's the problem is there's a lot of behind the scenes shuffling that people don't realize. So people think like, you know, Pixar lost his touch, which it has, but it's because they have lost the people behind them. And I think, you know, eventually it'll have a rebound. I mean, think about the last Pixar movie. Like, wasn't that long ago? You know, Luca, I mean, Turning Red, I also loved. So, you know, they, they still managed to give their good stuff. But, you know, in one year, they'll do Turning Red and Lightyear. And so it's like, we're going to cover both ends of that spectrum because yikes. Well, what's interesting is when it comes to making money, which is what, at the end of the day what these studios need to do, both Luca and Turning Red went to Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, and I don't even know if that makes money for them or not. <laughs> like, it's, it's so tricky. Yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't I, – I, I don't even know how to look at that, but I feel like they, they're probably measuring, like, how many new subscribers they get based on a drop of something like that. But I don't know how many people are like, oh – Luca, I'm going to subscribe. I there are people that do turn on and off their Disney Pluses. I mean, you know, good on them for being, like, uh, economical. But I'm someone that's just like, nope, I'm riding every streamer to the ground, baby. Shutter is still cooking. <laughs> movie coming up. Oh, fucking movie. I can't do it. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to pull it off. Your rotation doesn't have any space. <laughs> All right, let's dive into what we've been watching and start with The Flash here. Um, the Flash uh, came and went. Um this was a movie. I'm, okay, I'm going to be completely honest with you. You go first on this one because you're a little bit lighter on it than me. I'm a little bit more mean. You would think. I <laughs> liked. I, I love DC. Always have to preface these conversations with us. So there's things I liked about this. I thought that they had a real opportunity to reset what had come before. What's kind of interesting about this is the Flash, in a lot of ways, uh, canonizes Zack Snyder's Justice League. And what has come before, which is a really fucking fascinating decision from a studio that has done everything in its power to push away from that vision uh, and, you know, throw everything at the wall and continue to fail. But anyway, The Flash had a real opportunity here and it could adapt, it could have adapted one of the best storylines that ever has graced DC Comics in the Flashpoint storyline and bringing a really freaking vital villain. Sean, who killed Barry Allen's mom? Oh, um, it was... A uh, tomato. Yes, tomato sauce in this. Tomato sauce, yeah. Um, but in reality, it was Reverse Flash, who is also one of the biggest villains of the Flash. And is that the dude that was in this one, or was that no? A... Oh, it fuck was. It off. I can't that was like Dark Flash, but Reverse Flash. 
Reverse Flash is an awesome character. And Does he go really slow? <laughs> there's a lot of um, a lot of questions out there about why they didn't use them, and there's a lot of theorizing that uh, it was because the Flash television show has heavily used the Reverse Flash throughout the entire run of the show. Um, and then Andy Muschietti recently came out, director Andy Muschietti really, randomly came out recently and said that the where the story would go naturally is to reverse Flash in a sequel. What's fascinating about that is it sounds like he's pretty much telling us right there, we're done. Like, there's no more. And he's jumping to another movie, so I don't know what's going on with the Flash. I, I had a lot of fun with this in certain ways. But now, a couple weeks out from seeing it and thinking about it more, the baby scene at the beginning was the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Didn't you love the quip where they said, hey, it's a baby shower? You know, I wish that one of the babies hit the ground while he's doing that quip just to like, you know, just to say like, oh, maybe you shouldn't quip when eight babies are falling and you say, it's a baby shower. I was like, I almost threw up. And that's the beginning of this movie. Sorry, I cut you off, but I'm, I'm fucking You're good. in that scene. I'm my, so da my dad and I also couldn't get over that uh, he puts a baby in the microwave and then the microwave dings. My dad's like, what were they doing? Were they microwaving the baby? <laughs> so what's interesting about that is that was horrifying, and I'm trying to figure out what was going on with that. And then it's slightly explained away like an hour and a half later where he says, like, you know, sometimes in order to move things through, like the like he, like he Ezra explained, or Barry explains this, where he's like, you know, in order to move things while I'm flashing them, I have to put them in a microwave so that they're scientifically kept up. I mean, it's a shitty explanation anyway, but when you do it an hour and a half later while I'm still hyperventilating about how you put a fucking baby in a microwave oh, was, was that before or after he electrocuted himself <laughs> well and then also we think about you know, put the baby in the microwave and then you made it a really fun uh, closing credit sequence of a therapy dog falling to his fucking death to like fun little comedy music as babies are also dropping next to him like what like why would you call back that scene and people yeah. said what they said about this at CinemaCon I after seeing that scene, I don't understand this. Yeah, very odd to me. Um, but anyway, going into it a little bit more, the buddy-buddy comedy that was between Ezra and Ezra, I enjoyed it for a little bit. It became way too much. Uh, and it was it was bothering me probably halfway through. I think they could have gotten to more of the meat of the story quicker. I thought these people were raging about the CGI, and I know you're probably going to have a lot to say about this. There's not a lot of the CGI that I, I hated. Um, there, I think the scenes with Ezra and Ezra were pretty well done, in my opinion. Very good, yeah. Yeah, I thought as people were talking about the second Ezra's face not looking right. I don't, no, I don't remember that at all. I quite remember the opposite of being like, "Wow, they pulled this off." Shit, they've been doing that since the '60s in the Parent Trap. That's that's yeah. not uncom. That, that's easy stuff to do. That's not a new thing. But I thought that the way they depicted the Speed Force, um, I'm ultimately, oh god, I'm gonna, I forget what it's specifically told, but when he's like running in a bubble and the the animation of going back in time and you're seeing an animated Henry Cavill, you're seeing an animated replay of scenes that just occurred with uh, Keaton's Batman and uh, Sasha Cowley's uh, Supergirl. And you're seeing just all this old shit. And then even when they get to the cameos, like the, which let me, uh, at the onset, okay, spoiler, I, by the way, for cameos, because we, we will be talking about a lot of these, I think. That too. I don't have a problem with the cameos. People are really upset and saying, like, one of them in particular was really disgusting. I don't think it was disgusting. I think they were paying homage to what came before, uh, which I think was pretty, pretty good and a neat way to go if they would have done something more with it. 
so, you know, it is fan service. It's heavy fan service. It's cheap fan service. Uh, and then the end of it is really fucking frustrating to me because it continues to throw another curveball after curveball into the timeline here. And when we're two movies away from the brand new DCU, we have Blue Beetle coming, and we know that Blue Beetle is going to be a character in the new DCU. So it sounds like that's kind of like separate all, all in all, which I like. Uh, and I'm excited. I hope they can build that character. Um, it sounds like the movie was just doing well with test audiences. Who knows now because DC likes to overinflate everything. But it sounds like it was doing well with test audiences. Uh, and then James Gunn knows how to write a, a new character and a character that's not really well known very well. So hopefully he can help direct that into if it needs it. I don't know what this director has done with it. And then we have Aquaman, which is also really fucking weird that that's still coming out. That's happening in December, uh, reportedly. And, you know, we get a post-credit scene. It's probably one of the worst post-credit scenes I've ever seen in my life. What a and fucking it was, disappointment. <laughs> it was only there to remind you that Aquaman is still there and has a movie coming out in six months. Um, I, I This movie, I have really soured on this movie since I saw it. I gave it a three out of five because I did have fun with it when I first saw it. Last night, I was, like, raging about it to myself. And I was about to make a TikTok. I'm like, let's wait till the podcast. Because I, it is a... It's, it's just, it's, it baffles me that this is the product that after, what, nine years of development fucking hell on this, they, this is what they came up with. And it does nothing. And maybe it's because DC has continued to shoot itself in the foot every couple, every couple steps, every couple movies, every, every movie, really, they, they F with. But this is what you came up with. And I'm not putting this on Ezra, because all in all, I think Ezra Miller did a really good job with the role. Not getting into him himself yeah. or, or that, them themselves. But I, I think that they performed really well in this movie. Uh, but everything else was for not the fan service was really stupid at the end of the day. Bringing Keaton back. Love Keaton. What's the fucking point? They Bring didn't do anything back. with him. They didn't do they, anything with they him. They killed him twice. And then we're like, oh, bye. And then, and, and here's the other thing. Ben Affleck just wiped. Ben Affleck probably had the best five minutes he's had in the DCU, uh, DCEU. And then at the end we have, Spoiler alert, five, four, three, two, one, George Clooney coming back. So what happens to Ben Affleck? He's just gone? <laughs> like, I don't, I just, well, I mean, because, oh. I mean, he literally is gone. Ben Affleck said, this is it. I will not do anything else with this. But so, if you, if you read all these interviews and reports, Sean, there's still like a lot of, oh, well, I wouldn't say he's gone or blah, 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 blah this, blah, 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 that, which is hurting I'm the franchise. Ben, who is like desperately, like, like, yeah, there, there's producers that can say whatever they want. Ben is like, I need to just have my Dunkin' Donuts and just please leave me alone. I don't want to do this anymore. But on the red carpet, Ben said something different. Oh, God. He like left it open. So I just, I, I think at the end of the day, this was a movie that they could have used well. If done right. And they had no problem fucking with movies up until the last minute. If done right, they could have used this to really usher out what has happened before, recognize it, take it, build off of it, go into whatever is coming with James Gunn's DCU, give us a little tease, show us how we're going to launch into something completely different in, what, two years when uh, Super Superman Legacy comes out and we're supposed to forget everything that's happened in the past? Tell us how we're supposed to forget that, why we're supposed to forget that, and move on. Instead, what this did was like, oh, we're going to deliver the best superhero movie ever, which is weird coming out of James Gunn's mouth when Guardians of the Galaxy 3 just came out and is infinitely better than The Flash. And then you still are left with a DC movie regime 
that is in complete and total shambles. And we're supposed to then look and say, well, we have new movies coming out. We're excited for Blue Beetle. We're excited for Aquaman. And then there's a reset. They'll handle that well because you know what one thing DC has always done is handled uh, DC uh, DC films well. I mean, their best movies are movies that are completely have nothing to do with the rest of the like this connected universe they have. I think that one like I mean, there's obviously several problems with this. I will say it's I just start with my positive. It is a fun little adventure. I did like you know like the storyline as it was going. It was fine. I like did like sort of enjoy myself a little bit with what was like the the bones of this whole thing. I think Ezra Miller is great as a uh, plucky, uh, plucky, funny, like you know, uh, quippy, uh, quippy uh, superhero. But then when they tried to do drama, I think it failed miserably. And that might not be on Ezra. That might just be on the writing not building up enough foundation for these characters. Like when they would when one Ezra tried to like berate the other Ezra, I was like, this is just fucking stupid. I there, that it just felt so damn hard. It happened so fast too. And it like, was just like, you know, like, oh I, I I couldn't stand that. And they just they tried to do something with like the stuffed animal that their mom had I, it just like it was just so ham-fisted and strange um i pull it out of his suit <laughs> yeah it was just very odd and so now the other thing is uh at this point no way home did something interesting um where they had like hey the different spider-man and different universes are played by like the old characters and stuff and it worked there and it's just not going to work ever again so just stop doing that stop doing like uh you know there there's really five batman because you know what a lot of people have played macbeth and you know, we don't say like i wonder what this macbeth universe is doing what's going Shakespeare on multiverse. it's like at this point it's like i uh, it was a cool thing to do in no way home and it worked very well in no way home and since then it's just been odd and i think it's very odd here especially when they say if you change the past it will it will ruin everything and then what does he do at the end? He changes the fucking past. I mean, granted, a little bit less where, like, he puts the tomatoes on the top shelf, but still changes it. And I guess that causes uh, Clooney, um, <laughs> but nothing else. It's like everything else is perfectly fine except for George Clooney is now Bruce Wayne. I, the whole thing just, like, you know, was a little bit rough for me. I'll say, you know, with the CGI, yeah, the two berries was fine. Um, and – I'm willing to accept that these, like, those portions of these movies are animated fucking movies. I mean, I'm going to be someone that rails against CGI and is okay with that Avengers Endgame sequence that is just pure animation. Like, it, I think it's more about just make it look better. Like, it just looked like shit. And I think that was the main problem I had is, like, when he's going into the uh, auditorium of past lives and stuff, yeah. I didn't really get any. Like, I was just like, oh, these are just claymation people, and it just doesn't look good. It looks muddy. It looks gross. And um, it was a very weird aesthetic choice. Yeah, it just did not. And yeah, like I, when he did the, what is it? The Flash enters the speed verse and the Snyder cut of the thing that worked. And I mean, yeah, that also is goofy CGI, overly CGI crap. But that's like, okay. It's still, it was, it was like conceptually, like I, I could understand it. This, I just didn't understand. He's going up levels to change things. I, I, I don't know. It just did not even work. Um, Ugh. And yeah, Michael Keaton, everyone, you know, was excited about that. I'm like, you know, oh, man, man, I wish I could see Michael Keaton as Batman again. You can. All right. You go to Max, you go to you go, you press Batman play and you fucking watch Batman again. Because guess what? That's better. <laughs> A lot better. Um, I, I just want to say one thing. Some of the fan service stuff did work for me. Um, the and we'll you know, we're already in spoil, spoiler territory, but uh, the Nicolas Cage move. As as mind-bendingly stupid as that is, that got the best reaction in my theater. 
Because I guess that story is pretty well known now that Nicolas Cage was going to be a Superman and he's fighting a giant spider. And it, it it's a shitty scene. It looks like absolute hell. But putting that in was just like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to uncross my arms for a moment and laugh. Because that, that did work a little bit. Apparently there's rumors out there that Heath, there was a Heath Ledger reference that was supposed to be in there that got cut. Which That's I think was definitely smart. a good idea. <laughs> yes. Um, I think the battle scenes were pretty good. I, you know, mm-hmm. of course they're overly CGI'd and stuff, but I think it was they were well done, um, which I enjoyed. There was a really funny uh, TikTok going around where it's like, <laughs> it, it's of course, um, it's showing Barry when he like. Well, first off, how about the reference to, which was really random. It was funny as shit, but I don't know where it came from. Come on, Barbie, let's go party. Well, okay, so there's a. <laughs> There's a few of these where there's that one, and then this is the fan service stuff that like bothers me. And this is in the trailer when Michael Keaton says, "You want to get nuts? Yeah, nuts? Let's get nuts." And he did and, it multiple times. <laughs> but like, what's weird is like they've just they were only asking him. It's like, "Hey, buddy, do you want to join us on this mission?" And he just says, "You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts." It's like, so so yes. Like, <laughs> like, it was just a weird way to put that line in there. I get it. They want like, "Hey, he said that in Batman. It's fun," but just like it just out of nowhere, but. The TikTok, the TikTok that's really funny is that it's like showing Barry like picking someone up and slamming someone down, and it's like <laughs> the Flash is out here paralyzing people, and meanwhile Batman's just like, like flying around. <laughs> uh, can we talk about Supergirl here? I, I, was, I was hoping you'd uh, bring her up because she was definitely the absolute best part of this movie. I agree. I thought she was excellent. I like how they introduced her too. Like she was, you know, kept away in that silo essentially. Um, where she was deprived of the sun and everything, and everyone knew right away, like, get her in the sun. Um, but there, I just thought that she was excellent. She was playing that, like, dark, brooding character, and I would love to see more. Well, that and that was, like, you know, it's like, it, with one good thing came eight bad things, because yeah. it's like, wow, she's in about 15 minutes of this. She has, like, four lines, and, like, she needed way more. She was so good. Yeah. It, like character design was great. Um, I, I really liked her a lot. And I thought yeah. that, that was something where, and then it's so funny. Cause I now realize this and I'm, I always, I, I try not to be the guy that says like trailers ruin everything and stuff. Imagine if we didn't know about Keaton. Imagine if we didn't know about her as Supergirl. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, a lot of people would figure it out when they see a girl in the silo. And it, it, I, I know a lot of people would figure it out, but the reveal of the fist where he says, try not to die. And then the fist goes down and shows her. I mean, I know that the filmmaker said, well, I wish you didn't say anything about Supergirl in this because that would have been the greatest like movie reveal. I mean, for someone like me that doesn't know shit about comic books, I'd be like, oh, she's flying. I, I get it. <laughs> like, I, it. It would take a little while for me to get it. Like some other people would figure it out immediately. Cool. But I would just it would be fun cinematic reveals. But instead, all of that was in the trailer. And now we know all that's in the trailer because they're like, we need to get people to see this movie, which I guess they were right because people did just like you know drool over Keaton as Batman. So yeah, yeah. I get it. But, well, and when you have a a lead actor that you can't market around, like <laughs> that also do press <laughs> that also creates problems. Um, what did my final grade was a three out of five. If I had to re-rate this today, it would be a two out of five. I think. I, I have a D. Um, I should say that both this and Extraction Two were watched while I was uh, severely hungover from a bar crawl. So that's always that always should be considered. <laughs> <laughs> that always should be considered apparently like you know a hangover does last 24 hours uh for me now so um that uh that's how the flash and also as we're, we're about to talk about extraction too um went and i still loved extraction too but you know with some caveats 
let's talk about Extraction 2 here. Um, I don't have much to say about this. I was I loved the first one. I had a great time with it. We talked a lot about if that was just the time that it came out at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was home and hit streaming. Um, but this is Chris Hemsworth, directed by Sam Hargrave. Um, I will say that, in my opinion, Extraction 2 takes everything that worked about the first one and ratchets it all up. Yep. Um, there are, the, the action is incredible in this. The trio, the main trio, Chris Hemsworth and, and all, are wonderful. Uh, the story development is minor. Um, I'd say, you know, like you see, you learn more about his past in terms of when he left his son, um, who was sick, and then left his uh, ex-wife as well. And you get a little bit more of the family based on the main focus of who he's uh, extracting. Um, so you get a lot of that. But the uh, And then you also get the introduction, spoiler, of Idris Elba. Um, who is in the beginning and the end of this, and was a nice surprise. I forgot that he was rumored to be in this. It was, it, was, uh, it bothered me. It was like a week beforehand where they announced it and they showed a photo of him. And I was like, mm-hmm. guys, you should have held that to the chest. Yeah. It would have been a lovely reveal. And I, I must have missed that because yeah, they, they literally he, had a legit image of him. And I was just like, why are they showing you this? Like maybe- When he popped up on screen, I was like, oh. And it's it's very clear that that is, they're trying to build a, a connection or a key to expanding this universe, which I'm all for. He had a really funny line at the end, too, where he, they're standing on the mountains. He said something like, Look, looks like the fucking sound of music out here or something like that, <laughs> um, which was great. He, his back and forth with Hemsworth was wonderful. I just, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It exceeded every expectation I had. The 21-minute action sequence Amazing. is one of the best action sequences I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and it's just filmed to perfection. And I think about the choreography there, the action choreography, um, and just the fact that it's not 21 minutes just in one location, but it moves train, through. Yeah, tra- yeah or from a, a static location in a basement to a, 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 a yard in a prison, a prison yard is the term I was looking for, to a train, to, you know, you have guns, you have knives, you have, uh, you know, brass weapons, you have uh, helicopters, you have RPGs. Like it was just that shit crazy in the best way. Uh, and this was the easiest five out of five I've ever given because I had such a blast with this. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I gave this a B, and uh, I gave it a B because the. That opening sequence is exceptional, and then just nothing measures up to it toward like any other action sequence. Still fun, still great action, still like I will say improves on the emotion. By the way, agreed. I, I remember the first one like tried to ham fist that emotion where like they're like for a brief like five minute scene, Chris Hemsworth starts crying about his kid, and I'm like, well, this doesn't really seem like it works. And in this one, all of it worked together, and so I was like, oh, they developed this character that you know is meant to just be an indestructible you know John Wick, and instead they give him you know, a little bit more substance. And this time it feels earned Unlike last time where I just felt like they're trying to build some emotion behind it. It doesn't work as good. So I, I like this one better. Um, I, I just think, and it's so funny that, you know, John Wick, I gave a, an A and this I'm giving a B, but I just think this felt a little bit longer, even though it's about an hour shorter. <laughs> um, and I think that just like the scenes didn't work. I, I, um, and I will say this, I, I hate, I hate dumb kids. Um, like it, the dumb kid movie cliche where like, you know, they just, like the dumb kid always fucks things up in a horror movie or in this like calls him. I understand his motivation behind it. And I thought that was an interesting conflict. But in the end, I'm like, dude, I mean, come on. You got to know that this was the right back call. <laughs> I didn't, so there was like those little things that bothered me. And, you know, usually like with an action movie, I'll look those over. But I think they just they, they stuck into my head a little bit more. Also, once again, I saw this after The Flash and I was still hungover so (laughs) so once again caveat to both of these maybe they both go up a letter if uh if i felt better 
It's funny because I, uh, side note, the trailer for Heart of Stone, the new Gal Gadot and Jamie Dornan um, uh, movie that's going to Netflix just dropped. Uh, but uh, but we, uh, it's funny because I felt like in the first one, the only character that I cared about a little was Chris Hemsworth's character. Mm-hmm. And in this one, I cared about them all. Like yeah. the, the three, and I'm, I'm going to butcher their names in this. Um, uh, and I don't have it up in front of me. I'm trying to pull it up real quick. Um, but the his his two compatriots there. Uh, oh my gosh, Narani. They weren't in the first one, so it was interesting that I just said like, you know, wow, I, I don't even recognize these characters. Maybe I should have rewatched Extraction. I didn't think I'd have to do that, but um, you know, then I like uh, you know saw them and I was able to establish. Okay, cool. They're a team of three. I get it now. They were in the first one, though, weren't they? They were, but I guess I just forgot them. I don't know. Okay. Well, that and that's it's true. But I, I mean, to the writing, the credit of the writing, I did enjoy them a lot more. To where, when there is some emotional payoff with them, I was like, oh, okay, like yeah, I, oh no, <laughs> don't do that. Um, I, I just had an absolute blast with this movie. My question is, why the hell do you not put this in theaters? Because that would have been a wonderful theater experience. Dude, this is just like, you know, Netflix has to figure something out. I get that their whole thing is streaming and like almost streaming alone, except for our one Netflix theater that will help us qualify for the Oscars and stuff. But you got to put something like this in theaters. You got to put something like All Quiet in the Western Front in theaters. I Mm -hmm. mean, because I'm sitting there in my living room. I'm enjoying myself and I'm just like, wow, this would have been amazing in a theater. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. It's it's so tricky, I think. And I get it. They don't want, they're like competing against theaters. But you know what? If, I mean, granted, Extraction 2 is not going to be an Oscar play so they don't have to with that what you know if (laughs) hey maybe like you know hey if they ever do a fucking stunt coordination oscar then maybe there'll be an oscar play there um i yeah could you imagine that if that was this year it would be john wick four versus extraction two so i know for i I could just see right now what's exactly going to happen it's the same thing that happened with um you know the dark knight when uh, they said, like, uh, after it doesn't get Best Picture and everyone's pissed, they'll say, okay, next year we'll have 10 Best Picture nominees. I yeah. can almost guarantee next year there will be a stunt category. Not this year, but next year there will be a stunt category. I, it, like, almost it, – it just feels like this is the perfect thing where because of the outcry of John Wick 4 and also Extraction 2, <laughs> they'll be like, okay, we hear you. So next year when those two aren't eligible, there's your, there's your category. <laughs> Uh, side note: How long do you think the director's cut is of uh, the Flash? Mm, I mean, it felt like a fuckload was cut out. Uh, I'd say about four and a half. It's four hours. Yeah, uh, maybe. Oh boy, com- I watch the hell out of that. Coming soon. Dot net. Uh, release the Muschietti cut. All right, let's jump into what we've been watching here. Uh, I'm what we've been watching is what we just covered. Let's jump into the news rather uh, and start off with Transformers. Transformers is actually um, Rise of the Beast has had a really good start i mean it dropped significantly this weekend but that was to be expected with two new releases but again they didn't do too well so who knows what's happening in theaters uh but let's get into a little bit of spoilers here stephen cable jr was the one who helmed this transformers rise of the beast movie uh he has been brought on to helm another and it looks like they are happy with where this story was going and they're going to build upon the cliffhanger scene at the end which again spoiler five four three two one the spoiler is that G.I. Joe was introduced at the end of this. Oh, that cliffhanger scene, yeah. I was wondering what you meant by cliffhanger scene. I already forgot about that. Uh, I sh- yeah, it should have been like a reveal or something. Uh, but there is uh, a really cool backstory if you read the story on Deadline about how they handled this. And apparently it was like years in the making that Stephen Capel Jr. had this idea uh, to introduce them here. Thought it was natural. And Hasbro and uh, 
the studio Paramount had been trying to do this for years because people love the Transformers and G.I. Joe storyline from the comics back in the, I want to say the 80s. They love that short run. Uh, so apparently they've been trying to figure out a way to bring them into it for a while and they just haven't found the natural way. And th it was proposed here, went up through the steps of, you know, talking to Hasbro, talking to um, the, uh, the studio here, and ultimately they got the okay. Michael Kelly, when he was brought on, didn't even know that this was the scene. Um, it, they thought it was going to be, I think, Scepter, Sector 6 is what, or is it Sector 7? Sector 6 is what we're introduced to in the first Transformers. Uh, and they thought that it was going to be that. Um, they had one script that had G.I. Joe in it. They had one business card with G.I. Joe printed on it, which came, uh, was printed that day, and which the director took right afterwards. And they filmed two scenes. All of the scenes, uh, or I mean, all the test screenings had a Sector 6 reveal at the end. Um, and it, it wasn't until it hit theaters, probably the premiere, that they put the G.I. Joe piece in there. Uh, so I just love that piece of filmmaking. I think that's really yeah. cool. Um, but what we know is that Stephen Cable Jr. is currently working on the, he's already been working on the uh, treatment for the next film. And it sounds like we're going to have the Autobots, the Maximals back, as well as the Joes introduced in some way. My question with that is, uh, will that be Anthony Ramos kind of continuing on? Because I, I hope it, I hope he's involved. I hope Dominique Fishback's uh, involved as well. Although I don't know that she will be, which reminds me when we're talking about uh, characters that are discarded too easily, um, Iris West from The Flash. They did fucking nothing with her, by the way. They kept on like I mean through all of these like Justice League Snyder Snyder cut Justice Teaser. League movies. They keep on like you know like. They kept on highlighting her, and then yeah, she was just tossed aside. I mean, but I mean, everyone was so. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think with this one, I, I don't know anything about that comic that has the two of them in there. Seems like that will be a little bit too busy, but also it's a Transformers movie, so welcome to busy. I'm like, you know, it is what it is. Um, I would love to see, like, I, I think you have to have Anthony Ramos in there. Um, I think like that character is really good and really suited to be like a member of the GI Joe. No I, pun intended. Wait, what did I do? Suited. Oh, suited because of that. He's he was astral. <laughs> Wait, um, what did I do? It's like I, I was on too much of a roll, and it's a Monday morning. Um, yeah, no, I, I I think you need to have him in that. I I almost want a standalone GI Joe movie that like mm. kind of works with that. I don't know if I love the two of them interacting. Hey, it could be awesome. I don't know the source material, so I can't say anything bad about that. Just feels like it would be too busy. And that's what sort of worries me about it. And please, God, just like let him be like a regular soldier. Don't put him in that mech suit again. <laughs> well, I like the mech suit, but I also, <laughs> I mean, the mech suit is also an Autobot. So like, it's kind of weird. Yeah, he was, um, he was inside of him. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. Pete Davidson. Um, Pete Davidson. <laughs> we, but we also, um, or I also hope that they don't go too crazy with it. I mean, there is a way where they can just introduce. The fact that there is like another agency out there that's working on these extraterrestrial threats and other threats, uh, and that's GI Joe, and then just slowly introduce. You don't have to bring all the characters in. You don't have to do that. Just have an introduction through Anthony Ramos's character and call it a day. Um, until and then build your own shit out. Like I don't, I doubt they're going to do a GI Joe movie before a sequel to Rise of the Beast. Yeah. Could be wrong, um, but you know, let's let's take this slow. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to DC it. Um, and I think that would be uh, a smart move on their part. Part. Uh, let's talk about uh, Radio Silence's next movie, the secretive monster movie at Universal Pictures that is really um, building up quite the cast here, uh, in my opinion. 
Um, we have a list of characters that is escaping me right now uh, because I clicked on the wrong thing. Barrera, um, right? Yeah, Barrera. Oh, there it is. Mm, they have her as the third build here. Catherine Newton, Alicia Ware, uh, and Melissa Barrera, among others. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito is the newest addition to the film that releases on April 19th, 2024. We know nothing about this. but I, I, That's what I'll say. My only reaction to this news is for the love of fucking God, tell us what this movie's about. Because yeah. I can't, I, I can get excited for Radio Silence doing a monster movie, I guess. Yep. But I, that, that excitement can only take me so far. You have to tell me what the hell this monster movie is at this point. I'm excited about Giancarlo Esposito and Melissa Barrera, especially though. And Catherine Newton, like good for her. Um, Alicia Ware, why is that name not ringing a bell to me? I, I don't know who that is, unfortunately. That was one of my unknowns. Oh, she's the young actress from... Uh, oh, Matilda. Matilda. Yes. Okay, well, we got four talented people then. Let's do it. I, I'm in. I, I just... Uh, there's no rumors about what this is going to be yet? Like, However, the Untitled Monster movie was initially titled as Dracula's Daughter. I mean, when it comes to all the rumors, I think we're getting a lot of radio silence from it. And we're going to get radio silence from the rest of this story and move on to our third, which is uh, Knuckles is a show that's happening on Peacock. Um, this is a spinoff of... Is it on Peacock? I thought it was on Paramount Plus. Or... Paramount Plus is what I meant. Wait. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I don't know because the, the incestuous nature of all these streaming services, <laughs> I don't know where I, shit so It's funny because people will be like, oh, that movie that you saw, when do you think it's going to hit streaming? I'm like, who's the studio? Universal. Okay, it's going to Peacock. Peacock. How do they usually... Like, I, like it's weird how you have to think about all of this. I, when I think um, about it, and then, then just like Living ends up on Netflix, the Bill Nye movie, and it's just like, oh, who knows how the fuck okay. that happened, but cool, I'll watch it. <laughs> Um, the live-action Knuckles series is bringing back Idris Elba as the voice of the character. It's also bringing back Adam Pally uh, as Wade Whipple, which is really interesting because in the uh, Elemental movie, the water character is Wade Ripple. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, but anyway, this is... Um, uh, what do we have here? We have a cast uh, casting announcement that includes Carrie Hughes, uh, Stocker Channing, Christopher Lloyd, Paul Shear, and Rob Hubel. Uh, this is like I, I had read somewhere that they were going to be voice actors, um, but I can't seem to confirm that after I first read it somewhere. So I don't know where I read it. Um, but uh, hey, listen, let's go. This sounds fun. Christopher Lloyd is on that Harrison Ford shit where it's like, yes, please, for the love of God, retire, dude. You are 170 years old. But he's just like, no, I'm going to be in eight more roles. <laughs> Um, it's interesting because this is a series that's set in between the second and third film. The third film is supposed to hit theaters at the end of next year. Uh, so this, uh, <laughs> they have to get moving on this. Um, uh, but Knuckles is going to be training Wade as his protege, um, which I, I like Adam Pally a lot. So I'm hoping that he can do a lot with this. I don't know about like leading a CGI heavy film opposite a, um, a computer generated character. <laughs> I think the problem with this right now is that I love, first of all, I love the first two movies inexplicably. I should despise these movies, but I adore them. Um, and I think the key to that is Jim Carrey, who, you know, is saying he's retiring, but he's not ex exactly a reliable source to himself. Um, but uh, like Jim Carrey is the key to these movies. He's exceptional in these movies. And I think if you're moving away from him, I think you're going to lose something there. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've, I've tried to hate these movies, and I end up liking them. So 
who the hell knows? <laughs> I think this is going to be a lot of fan service to people that love the series and uh, especially the details and the series. I mean, the video games, especially the details that they have in there about like the worlds that uh, these characters come from. And maybe they'll be able to expand upon that a little bit. That makes it fun. And I don't know how long the series is. I don't know. I mean, I know that the director of the first two films is directing the pilot. The writer of uh, Sonic 2 wrote the pilot. Uh, so, hey, I, I'm a, let's is have some stu stupid fun. Sonic or Tails or James Marsden at all? Well, the, I mean, they're not saying that at the outset. Who knows? I'm sure that, like, you know, uh, if it's seven episodes, by the seventh episode, we'll probably get, like, a cameo. Um, especially if the series isn't doing well. I'm sure they'll throw them out there uh, or throw out there the spoilers. I bet they'll be involved somehow. This is just so odd. I don't know. I, mean, I, mean, I know it's different. I have I haven't hated a Sonic thing yet, so bring it on. But also, really, <laughs> um, let's talk about Guillermo del Toro. Um, this is just fascinating. Um, at an animation festival on Tuesday, he said that there's a couple more live action movies that he wants to do, uh, but not many. Uh, quote, uh, and after that, he only wants to do animation. <laughs> Uh, which, hey, you know, good for him. He's, okay. he, he does well with it. Like, so, like, um, yeah. It, it is, it, it's strange to me that he's going for this because I do love his live action work in the way that it blends with like this fantasy. And he's always great with this fantasy level of, uh, you know, creating these worlds. And I, you know, I, I love Pinocchio and I think he, I think he's realized that there's like just less limitations in animation. So he kind of wants to explore that deeper. It's just fascinating to me because Pinocchio took, 15 years <laughs> the dude he made like five movies while making pinocchio so i think <laughs> i think just focusing on animation especially if he's just going to focus on stop motion which it seems like that's the case <laughs> we're just not going to hear from him for 15 years he's going to become a cameron he has a wonderful quote here uh because he continues to talk um at the festival animation to me is the purest form of art and it's been kidnapped by a bunch of hoodlums we have to rescue it and i think we can trojan horse a lot of good shit into the animation world <laughs> i love him i love him so much and i love like his whole campaign like his oscar campaign for which he won for pinocchio was like being an advocate for animation and letting it be for adults and everything and you know pinocchio it's not that like it's for adults in the sense that like you know kids can't watch it but it is made more for adults than for kids and yeah if he keeps going i think about uh, Miyazaki, who you know, uh, we could we could talk about Hayao Miyazaki deciding not to promote his film at all. Have you heard about this? I did, yeah. That's just brilliant, like absolute, just pure chaos. I love it. But I mean, he's like kind of the same level where he's like, no, I'm just making animated films. If kids happen to watch some of them, cool. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not making them like messed up or anything like that. But you know, it, I'm I'm making movies through an animation medium, and I think that's a very important and very interesting way to look at all of this. Yeah. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Um, I, listen, I'm all for it. I think that we're at a time where we're seeing animation change, especially with Pixar struggling the way it has, but the success of, you know, Sony Pictures animation. Uh, we have uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie coming out that's uh, getting great first reactions. Um, what else do we have? I mean, Pinocchio was wonderful with the stop animation there. The one that's coming out on Netflix next week that I actually can't remember, but I just heard is really, really good. And uh, it stars Chloe Grace Moretz. And oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah, yeah, I totally like. I just heard about it, and it's weird because like the trailer just came out, so it's 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 almost like it's being like uh, swept under the rug or something. Um, yeah, one name, um, but looks like inventive animation as well. So I'll be looking forward to that, and I can't find it anywhere. 
Is it Nimo- it's not Nimona, is it? Nimona, yeah, Nimona. I've never heard of that. Um, I had it last week, but um, I got better. We also have the CBS 2 coming. The CBS was a good movie. I will always rest on that. It's They're doing a CBS 2? Yeah. Didn't Netflix like dissolve their animated studio? Or yeah. Or realized, wait a minute, we just we got nominated for two Oscars last year. Maybe that, we should keep it. Yeah, that was really odd. That was an odd decision. Oh, boy. All right, rant and rage, Sean. I'm going to start off with my rant here, and this Larkin's back. Larkin's you back. You pretty much already back. covered it, I think. I, yeah. Well, I'll boil it down. I won't go much into it. It's just, I here we are, after another, uh, you know, uh, failed entry into the DC film universe uh, with The Flash. Uh, we are Monday morning quarterbacking a little bit, a lot of it, and it's a post-mortem on The Flash, but also a post-mortem on how Warner Brothers has completely and totally screwed up with this franchise since they started with Man of Steel. Um, If we boil this down to one point, it is this. They didn't let the director and the filmmaker that they brought on for a vision complete his five-film vision. And when they tried to torpedo that after the first two films, which weren't total flops, Critically, they weren't great. Um, They were different than I think they expected. I think they expected major hits. Critically, they weren't well-received. Financially, they did well. They completely torpedoed everything and have continued to not be able to find their footing since. And I think it's just really fascinating to look at a studio mishandling a a product just like this, an an IP that is so vast uh, and has a lot of potential. Because it's clear now what, I mean, when did Joss Whedon's Justice League come out? 2017. We are six years after that. And we are still dealing with the remnants of this bullshit. And if you go back to the best, I think the best movies out of DC in the past, well, a lot of people critically say Zack Snyder's Justice League is probably one of the best ones. I Um, I think it's the most popular one. It's the most popular one. And I think it had... It was him realizing a vision. Uh, And it's amazing what happens when studios don't interfere. Uh, But, you know, we're supposed to have confidence in moving in how they're going to move forward with this. Um, I I just, I still, I trust James Gunn. I like James Gunn. I um, distrust him a little bit more after what he was saying about this being one of the greatest superhero movies ever. Uh, But it's just amazing to me that this all goes back to the decision to torpedo the dude they brought on to deliver the foundation of the DC extended universe. And here we are. I think it's well, like, you know, abandoning plans. I mean, I, I think about this with star Wars where they're like, Ooh, fans didn't like this one. So let's completely do a heel turn. And then you realize, no, this is a like vocal uh, minority that just doesn't really like get it. And you know, then, then you look like a cop out. And then so it, just, it gets worse every time. Like when you try to like course correct these things without like plans being realized. So, you know, I think, um, I, I, I I'm not saying like fan influence isn't something that should be listened to, but I think that I think you got to be a little bit smarter with that. Um, yeah, you need a better a better uh, algorithm in how you incorporate them in. Yeah, because like, I think mo- the the majority are just like maybe Last Jedi was this interesting risk that maybe some people didn't like, but the ninth one is just an absolute horrid show of like just utter shit. But regard that's that's me trying to rant about Star Wars hijacking your DCU rant. No. End scene. You're up. 
All right, so now I'm going to talk about live action remakes, and this is one that's just like they're they're just happening, and maybe I should get over it. I try to get over it. I do try to. I mean, I I, I gave Little Mermaid a C. I did enjoy a lot of parts of it. I get, you know, I I do enjoy these somewhat, but I think at this point they are trying to Trojan horse great directors into us like accepting these live actions between Dean Fleischer Camp doing the Lilo and Stitch one, which you know I'm I'm now excitedly obligated to be seeing that because I'm like, hey, I loved Marcel the Shell. Um, Quest Love doing the Aristocats, um, you know, live action. Uh, then we have just recently, uh, Bambi might be done by uh, Sarah Polly, Sarah Polly, Sarah Polly. And so, <laughs> and I'm trying to like keep it cool here. And I'm just like, okay, you know what? I don't think these things really work that much. I don't, I, I just think these are beautifully animated movies where we should just stay with the beautifully animated movies. And I, I will say like one of the worst ones, and they just re recently announced the director and I could give a shit, but uh, Moana, I really think that Moana might be the worst one. And I don't boycott movies. I like to see all movies and like be a part of the cultural case. I can't see myself going into that movie and seeing it. I can't do it. I actually like that one genuinely bothers me. It really bothers me a lot. That's interesting. Um, it's, and I think it's just one of these things where, you know, if you're making a remake to make a different idea, something fascinating, then you know what? I'll, I'll be on board. I'll absolutely be on board. But if you're just rehashing the same thing of a beautifully animated movie, I think that that's troubling. And I think that most of them are just doing that. And, you know, I, I like I think about it, you know, one of my the best live action movies are Pete's Dragon and uh, The Jungle Book because they did something different with it. They put it in a modern time where they had like the characters in a different hierarchy. And yes, it was the same story in some degrees, but they did something new to it. And that's like any remake, by the way, any remake, if you're going to remake something, I'm not completely against remakes. I'm not at all, but you got to bring something different to it. I think about, you know, my, my classic example is um, strangers on a train. It's been in development hell for a while, but David Fincher wants to remake that to remake Hitchcock sounds like the most disgusting thing in the world to do. But actually, David Fisher doing a modern day Strangers on a Train actually sounds kind of dope. And I would be interested to see what he could do with that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm someone that embraces remakes and live actions, but these are just getting more and more like gross and disgusting. And but and those, those bastards hire directors that I'm interested in. And so then I'm like, OK, now I kind of want to see it. So I get more and more mad about this. And. I, I need to just accept it. I remember you had like a, um, I think you had actually a rant about like people being pissed about live action remakes. Mm -hmm. And so I, I need to just get over it. I know I do. And eventually maybe I will be beaten into submission, <laughs> but Sean, I say this as a friend, this is one of those that you have to get over. I, 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 it's not going away, dude. I it's tried like... so hard, dude. I, I, I really do try to just accept these when, when they get announced, I'm like, Hey guys, it's going to be fine. Relax. And no, you don't. You're already shitting on the next five. <laughs> well, before this, before they decided to make Sarah Polly do fucking Bambi. Like, <laughs> make. She went for that bag, as you would, as you will say. And then, you know, then also there's I will, Barry Jenkins doing the Mufasa prequel. I'd almost be like, I'm almost kind of into that because I'm like, oh, you know, it's it's going to be a different story with the Lion King mythos, even though they said they're going to have a Lion King franchise right now, which makes me want to put my head through a wall. But okay we're, we're but yeah i don't know i i know i need to get over it trust me i'm very self-aware in my issues with this but uh oh yeah 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 um i don't know what to tell you dude like yeah, I, I know like, I, I already know <laughs> um all right raves 
Uh, mine's very simple. Rewatch podcasts. Um, one of my favorite type of podcasts to listen to is a rewatch of a show that I liked before, um, that I've seen before. The Office Ladies really ushered this in, I think, pretty well for me. Um, they're, I mean, they're almost done, honestly. Um, but they, uh, Angela Kinsey and Jenna Fisher have done a really good job of kind of bringing in uh, the voices of the people that were involved in the show from all levels and giving you a different perspective as you're going back through to rewatch. Um, Talkville with Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling. They're doing this with Smallville, and it's really entertaining as well. And then Just Jack and Will just launched, um, which is uh, obviously about uh, Will and Grace. That's, that's, first of all, a really great title. It's a great name, isn't it? <laughs> well, and it's interesting because Sean, um, Sean Hayes has never watched an episode of Will and Grace. So the, that is right. So that's going to be a really fascinating way to examine this show again. Uh, and this will be maybe my 13th time rewatching the series uh, because it's one of the funniest series out there. But um, no, they're just they're really fun. They're light. It's I listen to a lot of like heavy podcasts when it comes to like Dateline and murder and all kinds of uh, politics and world's going to end. World's going to end. And then I can turn this on and just hear about the experiences of filming like a really ridiculous uh episode of smallville where there were uh, like vampire sorority girls you know um uh, so i'm um, it, it's just they're fun and i'm glad that that content is out there as an option to add to that um the pod meets world podcast is a very mm -hmm. fascinating one because i do find some of these and i don't listen to many of them but i i tried to listen to the one for scrubs and you know mm -hmm. i love zach braff and i love Don phase it just didn't really work for me it felt a little yep. bit too formulaic the Podbeats World one is great because they don't just like, you know, go like scene by scene throughout. And I don't know if the ones you're talking about do, but um, they don't go scene by scene throughout. They actually are like just like they, they just sort of like talk for a while and yeah. they go into their past. And they go into their past stories and it, like they really invite it well. And, the you know, the three of them get along great. And, you know, it's been like awkward because they haven't had like Ben Savage on at all. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. They say like, hey, no, we're not like keeping him away. We're just like, you know, it's just he's he's doing other shit right now. And so he's just he's running for office, isn't he? Yes, apparently. <laughs> but no, it's Wilfred L, uh, uh, Daniel Fischel and um, Ryder Strong. And you could tell that those three were just like tremendously good friends, like yeah. scary levels of like, cause they're really good on the show. And so, you know, they brought on, um, you know, they brought on the guy that plays the father and uh, I haven't gotten to the one where they bring on uh, William Daniels yet, but I will start crying. I bet. Cause you know, yeah. Feeney just rules. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I subscribe uh, to your uh, rave and mine is, I forgot. Um, Jury duty. Oh, well, God, yes. Uh, so I had this out a little while ago, but I didn't finish it yet. I finally did finish Jury Duty, which is a weird sentence. But um, <laughs> God, was this an amazingly good comedy, like really good. It's basically just a prank show where – a glorified prank show. It's a little bit better than a prank show where um, there's one guy that's real and everyone else is an actor in this courtroom drama. I think that this did so well. First of all, I remember you said the first thing was like – they were very lucky that they got such a good person to be. Mm -hmm. And that's true. Like this guy is the most wholesome human being on the world. They have a weird dude that invents stuff and he has, he shows him a bug's life, which is just heartbreaking. So this show is, it was amazing. I was loving it throughout the whole thing. It ends so incredibly well where they do a recap of everything and they do like sort of the behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And you realize that this was a, massive achievement and you'd think like I, I the whole time i'm watching i'm like wow this might have been pretty hard to do here and here and here there's a lot more to this that we didn't realize that they they worked so hard on this to make it look perfect i mean one of the things when the actress is the bailiff like calls someone yeah. by the wrong name yeah yeah 
they hire another like crew member or actress to be that wrong name. To, and who knows if I'll even realize that or like, kind of, but it's it's crazy. It's and, amazing. Like, and they just did all of these little things, and it ends on such a wholesome level. Um, the judge is exceptional, and like he's um, Ike Barinholtz's father, which I never realized, and I thought that was beautiful. And um, a lot of these uh, actors are actually. Um, are actually attorneys or are like, you know, have played like have been in courtrooms for quite a while. And so they had this experience locked up very well. They all did so well. I think what I like about it more is that they didn't just showcase, didn't just focus completely on Ron. There are scenes without the real person in there, without Ron in them to just create this story very solidly. And I thought that was like, look, interesting decision, but it was, it was a great decision because it's like, Oh no, we're telling this whole story. Like, even though it is fake, (laughs) but we're going to, we're going to show you the whole story the whole way through. And I, I couldn't get over that last episode though. That was just like absolutely fantastic. And, you know, because obviously it's not really spoiling, you know, they, they reveal themselves and everything, but it's just so wholesome the way they do it. And they, Oh God, they're all like friends still and everything. That's the part I love, like the aftermath of it all. Like James Marsden has done like quite a few interviews and he's like called him. He's like, Hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? And yeah. he literally asked, like, are you filming this? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's still not totally trustworthy. I would never recover. But the like I but you do get that like sort of lump in your throat when they reveal, like, God, if I was in his position, I would have like I would have probably lost it. And they were all so worried about how he'd react. And so they kind of like surrounded him with as much love as possible. Also giving him a hundred grand, which definitely helped. But um, I, I, I really, really loved it. And, you know, it's so funny because they did like have like 250,000 applications for this. I don't know if it's possible to do a season two. I think you have to. Um, I don't know how you can do it. Like people are going to be looking out for it now and everything. I don't think it's possible, but it would be kind of awesome if they could do this again because it was really good. It's on – and this might be the turnoff for people. It's on Amazon Freebie. Um, don't let that be a turnoff. Yes, sure, there's a commercial. That's when you go up and take a piss, go up and get a snack. Like, you know, it's it's quick commercials that are there throughout the little bit. But, um, oh, my God, I love this show so much. And it's it's been pretty popular anyway, but I just wanted to reiterate. I have a bold prediction here. Oh, go. I think this makes a play for structured reality program at the Emmy creative Emmys. I hope so. I um, and I'm trying to see before I say, yeah, queer. I got it in 2022. Um, 2021 was queer. I 2020 was queer. I <laughs> see, well, and that's actually what happens with those reality shows. 2019 was queer. I it's always the same one. And so, you know, it's weird. Cause unfortunately you, you think about the Oscars and the Oscars are like, it's, we don't want to give someone a third Oscar just yet. Emmys could give a shit. Like, <laughs> drive it, here's your 20th Emmy. We don't care. <laughs> Are there other people that may deserve it? I don't know. Julia Dreyfus is awesome in Veep. But, like, they just give people, like, the same Emmy. Everyone's t- talking about uh, with that with that was Succession. It's like, they won't give it to Jeremy Strong again. He already has one. I'm like, you clearly don't know how the Emmys work. They will just give it to the same dude. So, the- with that, I'm worried about Queer Eye winning it again. But also... This is just such a dynamo. I really, I, I love this bold prediction, and I'm supporting it. But I actually don't think that it will uh, 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 qualify here because it is looking at all the others. They are reality based in terms of like, um, you know, Queer Eye is doing the makeover. Shark Tank is business focused. Extreme Makeover Home Edition was about the families and the homes. Kathy Griffin, My Life on the D List, was about her. 
undercover boss is focused on that. It's real people. This is one real person, the rest actors. And I just, this is going to be an interesting discussion come uh, award season. I think that, yeah, I think that they're going to have to dig deep into the rules on that. And I don't know them fully, but boy, that's tough. Hey, looking forward to a future uh, uh, future awards watch from you. Yeah. I've honestly thought about it, and I was like, that seems like too much research and too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to do. No, but I, I will actually because you know what, James Marsden is campaigning not for like an actor Oscar, but he's campaigning the show. He's been on uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He's been on the Envelope podcast. He was on um, oh, I believe he was on uh, Little Gold Men. So it's an awards player. I don't know where, but somewhere. yeah, I don't know where. <laughs> I don't know where. Maybe the Golden Globes. Um, anyway, uh, let's get into something we've been talking about doing for a while here, and this is Pride Recommendation. So it is uh, LGBTQ Pride Month uh, in, I guess, the world. Uh, June is Pride Month. Um, you know, it's uh, a, a month to just celebrate the community and the tenacity and courage of the community to live, uh, live prominently, live out, live proud. Uh, and be supported when uh, there's a lot of adversity out there. Uh, and it's not only celebrates today, but celebrates those who kind of fought uh, to get the society to the point where it is today. Um, there's a lot of good documentaries out there and a lot of good films, and a lot of good TV shows that we want to talk about today. Um, I'm going to just launch into them real quick, and I'll just give like a quick summary of what they are. Um, Disclosure is available on Netflix. This uh, is a look at Hollywood's depiction of transgender people. Uh, and the impact left on the transgender community and American culture. Really fascinating looking at the um, the depiction of transgender individuals throughout film and television over the years. Definitely enjoyed that. Uh, Fire Island, which is on Hulu, came out last year. It's a comedy uh, that was written by Joel Kim Booster. Uh, absolutely hilarious. Fire Island is a very, 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 very gay-friendly island off of um, New York that is a summer... Uh, destination for a lot in the community. And there's a lot to be said um, about, you know, like who goes and the different groups of people that go. And Fire Island does a really good job of just breaking that down and making it hilarious, but heartfelt as well. <laughs> Sean? I don't know. I just thought about when you said that, like a very, very gay brother. The moment out when they're on the ferry and they literally just all take off their shirts. And like, <laughs> this is why straight people hate us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that just made me laugh. Also, this is—I don't want this to turn into a Chris Farley name name that joke thing, but I, I did enjoy that part. <laughs> uh, there's another movie that came out in 2011. This is available on Tubi right now. It's called Weekend, um, and it follows two guys who meet at a club uh, and um, unexpectedly they have a one night stand, but then they end up kind of spending the whole night uh, and next day, and I think the whole weekend together. I'm trying to remember like the full plot of it. I feel like I've watched so many movies since then. Um, but it's just, it kind of examines the connections that we make in unexpected ways. And, um, you know, when, again, trying to find your place, live authentically um, and, and establish these uh, connections uh, that are authentic and real uh, and how they, again, hit us in the weirdest times. So it's, it's a really sweet movie. Um, highly recommend that. That is on Tubi, I believe. I want to say I saw it on Netflix too, but um, another one, which I think is available for rent right now. This is arguably uh, one of the best movies of 2021 that people aren't talking about. This is Firebird. Um, and it, the, the tag is at the height of the Cold War, a troubled soldier forms a forbidden love triangle with a fighter pilot and his female comrade amid the dangerous surroundings of a Soviet Air Force base. Um, this was just absolutely wonderful. The, everything about this movie is fantastic. It's heartfelt. It's sad. Um, it is just beautiful in so many ways. Tom Pryor plays Sergei, 
uh, and he's he's phenomenal. He also was one of the writers. Um, just a really, really, really well done movie. I remember it wasn't getting much buzz, and I can't remember how I saw it. Um, it must have had a screener or something. But it it just it blew me away with not only the production value of it because a lot of times these LGBTQ stories aren't the ones that are you know receiving the funds to put out a fantastic movie that you know is big budget so to speak and i don't know what the budget was on this um but it was uh it, it was just really well done for what they had to work with the last one I'll, I'll share is a show called we're here uh this is an emmy winner i believe um and this is uh on hbo so it follows three drag queens from rupaul's drag race Hiriko, hera uh baba drag queen uh and uh shangela and basically what they do is they travel around the United States and they work with a resident from a small town. And maybe it's a small town in like a very southern state, a very religious area, uh, a, an area that was, that is challenged in terms of supporting the LGBTQ community. Um, and they work with that individual. That individual doesn't have to identify as part of the community. Uh, maybe they are a, a leader. Maybe they are someone, you know, that just has a lot of opinions. Um, but it's it's a lot of uh, first off they make them over and they do a one night only drag show in the community. But the conversations that are had uh, and the way it's kind of like queer eye in that sense. The conversations that they have with the community members and the way that they're able to learn from what these individuals are saying, but then also educate based on their experiences is just really raw and wonderful to see. I remember I was in Seattle uh, last year, the year last year, yeah, and we spent a whole day watching just like back-to-back -back episodes and just crying because it's, it's very, very well done. Uh, and I'm glad that they're continuing to put that show out there. Um, Queer Eye is another one I would say is, has consistently been great. Um, so definitely recommend those, uh, those shows and those movies. So for me, uh, one of the ones that I always have shouted out since like, you know, the pandemic and I got the Criterion channel, um, the water watermelon woman is so good. It's um, a nineties comedy. Um, first of all, directed, written, and starring Cheryl Dunyer. You may not know that name, but nope. if you if you look at like like unfortunately it's just TV, but like any TV episode, you'll see like her name somewhere in like directing like in so many different television stuff. I mean, she recently did, and I can't remember the name of it, but uh, well, it had Jonathan Majors in it, and uh, it was the HBO show, but um, I can't remember it off the top of my head. But um, I um. I absolutely love her in this. This is basically 96. So this is like post clerks where like, just like indie goofy films came up and the nineties is like famous for the indie films and everything. This is about a, uh, you know, um, a lesbian documentarian who like wants to figure out this one woman who's in these old, like kind of racist movies. And her only credit is the watermelon woman. And so they like, she's like trying to find her biography and she does this documentary <laughs> on it. Well, meanwhile, it is just like, you know, her being single, um, like being single in her 20s and 30s. And um, just, you know, and I'll say it like this in the best way, being gay. And there's no prosecution that takes place. There's no, uh, you know, obstacles that take place in her way with the exception of love obstacles. And having that in the 90s was very interesting where like it wasn't this isn't an important gay film. Like it is like there's no like travesty that she <laughs> undergoes or persecution that she undergoes. It's just very casually like, oh, yeah, rom-com, but Javis like girls. And I think that that's so fucking cool. I mean, first of all, we kind of don't get that now. Never mind in the 90s, like treating that as something that's normal and regular. And, you know, we're getting better with it in the media now. But that, that back then, 
having that, making it so ahead of its time. Um, yeah. I think, unfortunately, this is only available on the Criterion channel. Because, <laughs> <laughs> damn it, I'm just that out of touch, but I still uh, love this movie. Um, <laughs> next, uh, these next, actually, oh my god, almost the rest of these are series, but uh, Heartstopper on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, it's based off of a graphic novel, but what a lovely show. <laughs> um, about a teenage uh, gay romance where you know one of them is openly gay um, the other one is not only not out but not sure if he's gay and we deal with his um, difficulties of wondering if he is or not and um, just the entire show the entire chemistry these two kids have is unbelievable unmistakable it's um, it's I believe it's uh, in uh, Britain and I think one of the best things is Olivia Coleman plays the mom and what I love about like British movies and British TV, we treat in America, we're just like, Olivia Coleman's here. Give her another Oscar nominee. In Britain, she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll play like a three-line character, like in just like the background of a show. British TV just, you know, they, they're just like, yeah, no, cool. She'll just be here. Olivia Coleman, just so natural and everything. She's just so commonplace accepted there. And But I really, really genuinely loved this show. I think her, like, you know, it was very interesting having a very progressive parent who's not like hateful when he comes out but also is you know a little bit tripped up and i thought that was yeah. like a cool balance and i thought that was something that was really nice um so definitely Heartstopper. there's another season coming pretty i hope pretty soon i, I loved the first season um sex education is a show that uh you know i would like it to probably end soon i think it's on its like <laughs> season lovely show at the start it's definitely losing its luster a little bit but great great solid gay relationships throughout it i mean there's straight relationships gay relationships they they cover like just kids blossoming into like their sexual discoveries but as someone who is straight and pretty much knows nothing about this world it was really (laughs) interesting how sex education did get into like nitty-gritty stuff throughout it all Mm -hmm. and i thought that there was just like you know fun things that you know i wouldn't get where you know one time these these two uh two teenagers are about to have sex and both of them go up like that because they were both bottoms and i thought that that was the funniest goddamn thing in the world and then they both kind of just look at each other like oh and so i think that that was this like really like quick and funny thing and you know it's just you, you it was just great to see that it's like refreshing comedy that's really funny because there it is like uh, people don't realize like the conversations that go into like, yeah like Oh hi, how are you? Like, hey, yeah, I'm into you, I'm into you, blah blah blah. And like, obviously, I'm like dumbing this down a lot, but like, there's compatibility issues. And it's it's so because I just never even knew that, and they do it so like expressively, like <laughs> they're, they're they're not doing a documentary or showing diagrams or shit like that. It's just like, oh no, yeah, this is stuff that has to be talked about and often isn't. Um, and uh, you know, I I've already like ran, or raved about this one a lot, but Shiva Baby is such a goddamn great movie. Um, please just watch it. It's, it's like just so anxiety inducing and amazing and funny. And you know, hey, Bottoms is coming up with uh, Rachel Sennett and uh, and the creator. Oh, wow, how can I not remember her name right now? But uh, you know, like great <laughs> stuff from there. Um, the last one was going to be my rave today because I just finished it. Um, Somebody somewhere on Max, which is second season, hasn't been renewed for the third. Please let this be renewed. For the love of God. But this show starts Bridget Everett, um, who is a straight female. And the main character is straight. So that's an interesting dynamic I have here. But she is an ally and basically a part of the queer community where she just like only has like really queer friends pretty much. And it's so this this show, first of all, is just this warm hug is the best way to describe it is it'll make you just feel so good she's so funny she's so friendly um and then the community itself once again just like um watermelon woman they're in middle america 
but they don't face like Westboro Baptist Church uh, protesters and or like any sort of like rights issues. They're just partying and having a good time. And it's interesting. I'm like, does that do more harm than good? Or is it good to just like not see these like very like horrific things happening? And, you know, the other two is one right now that is consistently making fun of like, you know, uh, gay trauma in uh, movies and TV and like how that's portrayed or how the society looks upon that. And I kind of love that this is just something where everyone is just delightfully queer and they're queer in the LGBTQ sense. And they're also just like queer because they're, they're all a little bit oddballs too. And they're just so goofy and it's so fun and endearing to watch that. And um, there's a trans character that gets married in the, like the finale of this episode and they have these relationships that struggle and they're just friendships pretty much, but they're, they're, they, they actually struggle in these ways that I've never seen before. This is like probably one of my favorite comedies this year. It, it goes so far under the radar. I would just love like, you know, maybe, maybe Bridget Everett to get like a crazy stray nomination. There's no fucking chance, but I would love to see it. <laughs> I, I love this show so much. Oh, I have never heard of it. Like that is the fucking problem. <laughs> just like there, Max is, you know, it. Well, the problem was is that um, it came out on Sunday nights, but uh, it was <laughs> Succession, oh, Barry, <laughs> Succession, Barry, and then somebody somewhere. So it's like after like you know getting like beaten to death by two shows in the best way possible. Like that, it's just like, do you want to watch this very nice show? And it's like, no, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Your Sundays have been crazy, huh? Oh, but, well, no, I, oh, please, I don't, I know you wait. I, I go to bed at like nine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap up with what's coming out this week. Secret Invasion debuts on Disney Plus. Uh, I did see the first two episodes of this and uh, love it. I absolutely love it. I can't wait. Um, it's just, it's like, it's political and, uh, you know, it's, oh, it's I love that. James Bond, uh, James Bond, not James Bond, Jason Bourne. And I just, I love it. Now people are saying, and or, is it basically like the same kind of deal where it's just, you know, this is a political thriller that, you know, doesn't do the same thing that Star Wars does. So in this case, doesn't do the same thing that Marvel does. And it's like kind of this interesting story with Marvel as a backdrop. Yeah, I would say it's Marvel. Yeah, I would say, I think that's a good way to describe it. I'd also say that it also reminds me of having components of, this is probably not going to be a great comparison, um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, because I would I argue that. Yeah. that that wasn't overly marveled, um, but there's there's some good components in there. Um, Asteroid City uh, inexplicably hits theaters. I'll be putting up a uh, uh, a uh, recap of the press conference for Asteroid City, the virtual junket, where Wes Anderson was asked about the film, and he struggled to explain what it meant. <laughs> I will say I'm very excited for, like, just, you know, I'm seeing Elemental probably, like, today or later this week, and I'll be seeing Asteroid City as my Thursday movie, and at this point, I'm just like, I think I'm going to like both of those better than you, so I'm excited for our conversations with them, just because, I don't know, though, maybe not, because Wes Anderson is hot or cold for me, and so... I think Elemental, we're going to be on the same page. Oh, interesting, because I, I, I'm getting, like, reactions of Elemental that are definitely, like, better than yours. I mean, not from Can. Can fucking hated it, but, <laughs> like, I, I'm, 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 I'm very curious. It's going to be a fun, it's, it'll be a fun uh, next week. Oh, dear. Um, and then No Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence hits theaters this week. I see this on Wednesday. I can't wait. Please be good. I, these trailers look so shitty, and I, wa I want this to do well. I want to come. Shit at all, Sean. So bad. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm rooting for it, though. I want this to do well. I want a comedy to do well really badly. Um, now I'm looking at when. Oh, I see it tomorrow night. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Do I see anything tonight? No. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> You get some time off, huh? I don't know my schedule. Uh, but yeah, so uh, some good releases this week, hopefully. Um, I can't wait to see. I can't wait to hear not only your thoughts 
when it comes to, we'll talk about Secret Invasion, probably the first episode next week. Um, and, uh, of course, hearing Elemental, well, we can throw that in next week as well as our discussion. Get but Asteroid City, it's going to be a fascinating one. Oh, God. God. I, There's, I know which parts you're going to love already. I, like, oh, yeah. I, I can't watch a movie without thinking about, like, at some point, Sean's going to hate this. Sean's going to love this. I love that I've just in like just inceptioned your movie. <laughs> uh, well, and I, I I said this on your Instagram, but I predict how you're going to rate things. And it's funny because some people like, well, I'm, you know, we talk to we are, that we're in the community with. They'll be like, what do you think Sean's going to think? And I'm like, uh, the Flash is going to give it a date. I'm I like, prefer, he's... by the way, like, you know, I, I was really hoping that I would because like Flash was getting split by the community and everything. I was hoping I would give it an A or a B. <laughs> Just so that the whole podcast just explodes. Well, you, you knew shit was going south when Hugh gave it a D, a D minus. That was big. That was big. That was big. That was big. It upended cinema for the rest of our time. Well, Matt, Matt said it when, it, when he, like, he immediately texted me. He's like, three stars from Joe? This is not good. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for so much better. Um, anyway, Sean, uh, peace out. Bye. See ya. The Guy at the Movies podcast is a joint venture between math teacher movies and Guy at the Movies. You can catch new episodes weekly right here wherever you're listening to this one. Subscribe so you never miss a beat.